You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Just wrapped up talking about Devontae Smith winning the Heisman. A big win for the non-QB guys out there. But now we're joined by Nathan King of Auburn Undercover. Nathan, how you doing today, my man? I'm good. How are you guys doing? I'm doing great, and it's a good Wednesday. I hope you're having a good day as well. We thank you for joining us on the show. Nathan, Brian Harson making his first hire as a head coach, at least for this staff, the guys that are going to be out there really getting into the nuts and bolts of this program head strength and conditioning coach Jeff Pittman what do we know about this hire about a guy who's coming from west of the Mississippi yeah so he's a guy like Harston um he's been at Boise for a long time he played center there um back in the early 90s and then he had a stint as Boise's strength and conditioning coach until about I believe until 2003 um then he's just one of these guys that's kind of jumped all over the map he's had a lot of different experience um, places like Minnesota and Colorado and Montana State. Um, you saw the quotes from the two-time Super Bowl-winning offensive tackle with the New England Patriots, uh, Nate Solder, who said that, look, you know, when, when I was at Colorado, Coach Pittman was, was one of the biggest reasons for my development, um, kind of spoke his praises there. I think when you're, when you're talking about a strength and conditioning coach, um, it's all about the familiarity, I think, and the relationship with the head coach. I think – um, you know, making sure that you've got somebody who's going to get everybody on the same page and is going to have everybody, um, whether it's nutrition and whether it's conditioning over the course of a season, and, and certainly in the winter and off-season months are very important. Having somebody that can be a leader like that um, and have everybody on the same page, I think is probably the biggest thing. And there was a video as well of uh, of Coach Pittman at winter workouts at 5 o'clock in the morning in Boise, and he's obviously – uh, super energized, getting all the coaches and players energized as well. So, uh, yeah, I think there's no reason to think this is a bad hire. I think it uh, looks like a pretty good move for uh, for Coach Harson's first official hire. Over across the state line, west of Alabama and Mississippi, Ole Miss offensive coordinator Jeff Levy agreed to a new contract at Ole Miss, and Levy's name was something that's at least you know circulated amongst the media as a guy that people wanted to try and draw a connection, maybe Ole Miss to Auburn, but what's the latest on this Auburn OC search and maybe even defensive coordinator as well? Yeah, so starting with defensive coordinator, um, you know, I think the hottest name right now is Marcus Freeman from Cincinnati, but it's going to kind of be, um, that's going to be a long shot, I think. Um, talking about the offensive coordinator spot, uh, Harson's getting a lot of interest from a lot of different areas, and we're talking not only the college game, college coaches, college coordinators, uh, but NFL coordinators as well. So I'd keep an eye on the NFL level, um, guys coming down from the pros. Um, different quarterback coaches from across the country. We saw the Panthers uh, quarterbacks coach become LSU's offensive coordinator today. If I had to guess, I'd say something like that um, is probably what we can expect. I think Harson wants to make that kind of move. But again, it's going to be somebody that meshes well um, with his philosophies for quarterback development. I think that's why this is taking, um, I say such a long time, you know, coaching searches for, for the assistant staff. Sometimes they're really quick, like we saw with Steve Sarkeesian sometimes. Um, you know, the guys want to spend more time to interview and look at a bunch of different candidates. But just specifically talking about this OC spot, um, this is going to be something that's very important for Harson to make the right hire, and he's definitely going to take his time because he quarterback development is his thing. Um, and he cherishes that quarterback position and, and his ability um, to mentor a kid in his time and in his program. So um, he's got to have somebody that, again, meshes well with his philosophies. But if I'm being honest, I mean, both of those spots, the coordinator spots, 
Um, Levy was the biggest name that everybody kind of stuck to. Other than that, you haven't seen names stick. I mean, very few names have been floated around. And again, that's because Harson is getting so much kind of different interest from a bunch of different parties. And so this is something that could still kind of stretch out for a while. And honestly, we, we don't really know who his number one candidates are. We've kind of just heard a bunch of different names. We're speaking with Nathan King covering Auburn sports for 24-7 sports. And Nathan, you mentioned that he's getting some NFL interest from coordinators and the like. What is the quality about Harson that's maybe drawing so much attraction from the next level? Yeah, I think something that Harson did early on once he got hired at Auburn is talk about the potential of the program moving forward. I mean, Auburn is the top 15 job in the country. Um, there's no doubt about that. But not only talking about the potential, but just kind of looking back at the NFL experience, um, that some of these, you know, the NFL kind of pedigree that you can have at Auburn, how many NFL players you can produce, and then the championships you can produce at Auburn. Um, so, you know, talking about the potential while also looking to the past. And I just think, I just think right now with what college coaches are doing, with what NFL coaches are doing, we're seeing a lot of crossover, um, a lot of guys jumping ship one way or the other. Um, and really, I think the playing field is, is just starting to be leveled in terms of, you know, you can be a you can be a great college coach and immediately jump to the NFL and the NFL straight back to college. It, it's kind of no longer do you have a bunch of guys that are just, quote, NFL coaches and you don't think they were they would succeed in college or vice versa. And so I think Harson did a good job when this started of, of making it clear to all those interested parties, because there certainly were a bunch of them, um, making it clear to them that, look, as long as you, as long as you're going to do it, as long as you um, are going to come in here and do a good job, we don't really care whether you come from the NFL or whether you come from college. As long as you kind of align with uh, with what we have planned for the future. Nathan, are there any specific NFL guys who are kind of linked to this Auburn job right now? And if not, do you have any candidates in mind that really stick out and would pr- probably fit well with this Auburn job under Harson? Yeah, there's one guy that I, I would say is kind of an interesting name um, to keep an eye on right now because you saw um, that Chan Gailey, the Dolphins' offensive coordinator, um, you know they let they let him go obviously, and so you know to keep an eye on that staff. Um, I, I, I'm blanking honestly right now. I'm not in front of a I'm not in front of a computer, but the Dolphins' quarterback coach um, would be an interesting guy to keep an eye on. Um, sort of a, a Chan Gailey. Um, protege there other than that again this is not necessarily a coaching search that has yielded a bunch of very specific names uh, levy was somebody that emerged early on and that makes sense why so many auburn fans sort of perked up and said oh you know that might be interesting because of the offensive numbers you've seen with old miss this season but this is going to be an interesting hire because uh harson in the past has called plays um he's kind of been a little bit like gus Malzahn, where he, he went back and forth but more often than not He's called plays, and I think he wants to call plays at Auburn. I think we're going to see him be the play caller in 2021, and so that makes the offensive coordinator search a little bit more difficult, in my opinion, just to find a guy that is going to be. I think that you know you see passing game coordinator is a, is a term thrown a lot, thrown around a lot. Um, it's just kind of more delicate situation, and you don't want to have a situation like Auburn did with Kenny Dillingham, where I think he really didn't come in and do very much because um, he tried to slap that offensive coordinator label on him, and he, he didn't really have that many responsibilities. So, again, got to be somebody that meshes well with what Harson wants to do because he is an offensive guy, and uh, he's going to want his fingerprints on the offense in, in the best way possible, Auburn fans will hope. 
Speaking with Nathan King, covering Auburn for 24-7 Sports. Let's transition to basketball before we get you out of here. And Auburn taking on Ole Miss tonight at 8 p.m. on SEC Network. And the Tigers 0-2 here so far at the start of the conference season. But they still are playing good games against some decent teams. What are you expecting tonight from the Tigers taking on the Rebels? Um, if they get a win, it'll be huge. I mean, this is a, it would be a road win against one of the more experienced teams in the SEC. I don't think Ole Miss is exactly blowing anybody away this season with how they've been performing. Um, but they're the most experienced team in the league, Bruce Pearl said, by minutes played. Um, and that's against, again, like we've talked about all year, um, that's against an Auburn team that is the youngest in the SEC, one of the youngest in the country, um, the youngest that Bruce Pearl has ever coached. And we're seeing that um, with how many turnovers. I believe it's 37 turnovers for this team. Through two SEC games, that's from not having a point guard on the roster right now, which, look, Justin Powell very well might may not be able to play tonight. Um, it was a pretty bad-looking and uh, bad-sounding head injury for him against Texas A&M, just with kind of the way he was being evaluated the entire second half of the game. He wasn't on the bench. And so you come into a situation where you can probably just slide Jamal Johnson in to play the two. Um, you get Allen Flanagan, who's been playing a bit of point guard. But really, I mean, Bruce Pearl did not expect to be in this situation. He expected to have Sharif Cooper at the beginning of the season. He expected Tyrell Jones to be a backup. Justin Powell obviously has been playing point guard. Right now, you just you straight up don't have a scholarship point guard on the roster. And I know other guys can kind of handle those duties. And I think Flanagan and Powell have been doing an admirable job considering the hand they've been dealt. Um, but when you look at how the offense struggled in the half court um, against Texas A&M, you really want a point guard, a facilitator, to be able to break that defense around the perimeter, and they just don't have that right now. So if Ole Miss, if Ole Miss implements sort of a similar defensive setup, they're not as good defensively as Texas A&M, um, but if they can sort of you know, rattle Auburn in the same way in another road environment, um, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. If Auburn comes out with a win, if we're talking about an Auburn win tomorrow morning, um, that'll be a really, really big step for this team, all things considered. Nathan, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Tell everybody where they can find your stuff. Yeah, for sure. Uh, by Nathan King on Twitter, and you can go to our website at auburnundercover.com. NFL stuff, players going to the draft, coming back, coaching news, all that kind of stuff. Um, and congrats to you guys on the show. Wanted to say that. Congratulations, and uh, hope everything's going smoothly. I appreciate it, my friend. I hope you have a good afternoon. Yep, y'all take care. That was Nathan King of Auburn Undercover joining us here on On the Line. Levi, before we head to a break, we're coming up on our hard break here uh thoughts real quick we'll come back to this on our next segment too but thoughts real quick on jeff Pittman being named head strength and conditioning coach at auburn i mean i like it simply for the fact that nathan hit on that video of him working out you know the boise team at five in the morning on a cold winter day i mean things like that out of your strength and conditioning coach because one they're there to get you know the guys in shape get them nice and you know well conditioned get the strength up but they're also kind of a hype man as well, and that's kind of that stereotype that they always fall into. And to see a guy that early in the morning getting the team really rallied behind him, it just makes you feel like a good hire with his track record as well. I'm not going to you know, knock on his track record as a strength and conditioning coach, but you just really look at that hype man situation that he brings a little bit more energy. We've talk, talked about how Auburn has been lacking that energy in the football program here lately. And, I mean, I think it's a good hire, and obviously – the ties with Harson, that's good. That means there's already some coaching chemistry right there. Shouldn't be too much butting heads in that regard. So, again, I think it looks like a really good hire as of right now. For me, what this is telling us about and what we'll get to in the next segment, 
and what Nathan alluded to a lot as well with these coaching searches they haven't yielded a whole lot of names like you said for me and you really can't read in too much into strength and conditioning or anything but for me nobody knows what's going on right now with this program and I think that's a great thing I think this means that this is a national wide a nationally wide search for this Auburn offensive coordinator defensive coordinator spot we'll have more of on the line coming up here on the other side of this break Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on the line here on your Wednesday afternoon. If you want to join the show, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. If you ever miss a show, big thank you there to Nathan King covering Auburn Athletics for 24-7 Sports here locally. We appreciate him joining us today, talking some of those Auburn coaching searches right now for the OC and defensive coordinator positions, but also position position groups are going to be looking for coaches as well. And then uh, most recently Auburn hiring as far as getting a press release about it yesterday evening we got it about Jeff Pittman being named the new head strength and conditioning coach in Auburn we were just talking about this before we went to break I think it's a great thing right now that nobody knows anything about who Auburn could hire Jeff Levy Ober at Ole Miss recently signed a two-year contract extension at Ole Miss or a, a new two-year deal with the rebels and he was one of the main names that has been linked over to auburn dale mcgee's another guy the marcus freeman or the other those are like the three main collegiate names that you hear and now hearing word that possibly according to nathan that there's that there's some nfl interest as well for the position but once again no like specific names out there drawn and it seems like these names are coming from all over the place and this is the product of what you get when you hire a guy that is not from the southeast that when you hire a guy that is outside of your auburn sphere and it is a great thing for this auburn program and part of what excited me so much about this hire when i first saw it on december 22nd 2020 when auburn announced and i said and at first a lot of people were like who's this guy and of course a lot of people especially me in this area forgot about brian harson considering he did go out to the mountain west at boise state and although i forgot about him then when I saw Auburn hire him and I thought a little bit about more about it I, I became more excited about the hire for Auburn and knowing what he's going to bring to the table and I think it's a fresh perspective and I'm excited to see how this coaching search is going right now because it truly does look like it's going across the nation right now and it could be anybody and I think that's a good thing for Auburn it's not limiting them in any one area yeah it really seems like there's there's no validity to any of these rumored names that are happening. I think it's a lot of just kind of guessing because there is no real trail of breadcrumbs right here to figure out who Auburn is actually looking at. And again, I, I'll i mirror what you said. I think that is a really good thing that Auburn has kind of stretched itself out and stopped being so insular in the conference and trying to just retread some tires, retread some names that people are used to hearing connected to these jobs that normally would be connected to these jobs it seems like they're going out there trying to find someone 
new, something fresh, something different for this Auburn program. And that is a really, really good thing when you think of how it has been so insular over the past few years. We don't know where they're going to go with OC or DC, but like I said, I think it's a good thing that Auburn's looking all over the place for those guys nationally. And I think it'll bring I think it'll bring a fresh perspective to Auburn's program, possibly open up new inroads in recruiting as well, maybe outside of the Southeast. That's something we've talked about. Something that I kind of want to harp on right here about the Ole Miss situation with Jeff Lebby agreeing to that new contract at Ole Miss. I think it's important for Auburn to not get distracted by shiny things. And what I mean by Auburn not getting distracted by shiny things, it felt like a lot of times there were gimmicks in the Gus Malzahn tenure that people just fell in love with, right? I mean, people love Sean Shivers because he knocked Isaiah McKinney's head off, right? I mean, but like, is Sean Shivers really a number one SEC running back in the? I mean, is he no. really a number one? No, on any of the other teams in the SEC. I don't think there's another team where he would be a number one or even really see as much playing time as he's seen at Auburn. And, and, I, and I like Sean Shivers a lot, and I think he possesses good skills as a running back. I love his vision. I love his heart. He's the hardest runner on this team. He runs mean. I mean, Him he, and Tank Bigsby run mean, and I've been waiting for an Auburn running back to do that for a long time. He views himself as a power back. He doesn't right. think of himself as a scat back. He thinks of himself as a run as a power running back at his size. And, and he's again, not a scat back. He no. is a power back. At five foot eight, he is a power back. Yes, and I love that heart. I mean, like you said, the heart with no size to back it up sometimes. He he goes out there and plays hard every single play. But he's not a number one anywhere it's, in yes, the SEC. Exactly. And unfortunately for Auburn, he had to carry that role at times, especially when Tank Bigsby wasn't available. DJ Williams is not a one anywhere else in this league other than maybe Vanderbilt and then Tank Bigsby's a a one everywhere right except for maybe Alabama and Georgia right out the gates right because they're they're bound to have someone more experienced than a freshman that would be on the field right away right I mean he wouldn't be a number one over Najee Harris but by the time Tank Bigsby's career's over at at Alabama or by the time let's say Tank Bigsby was at Alabama by the time his career's over he's on the field and he's been playing a lot right and so like Sean Shivers does not fit that for me Another guy that I felt like Auburn fell in love with that was kind of gimmicky, Anthony Schwartz. I thought Anthony Schwartz was a good receiver in this trio that's leaving. We've talked about this week, Eli Stove, Seth Williams, Anthony Schwartz heading off to the NFL draft. This trio is the best trio of receivers that we've seen at Auburn under Gus Malzahn. And if it's the best trio of receivers we've seen under Gus Malzahn, it's the best trio of receivers that we've seen since possibly that 2010 season with Darvin Adams, Emory Blake, Terrell Zachary, those guys were really good before that all the way back to those 04 days with when when Auburn went undefeated, right? I mean Auburn has not been known for putting great receivers out there and this is a good trio and not a knock on Anthony Schwartz to say that um he he just w- he felt like more of a track star and I'm not the first person to say that. There's many people in this area that have been saying, you know, he, he didn't look like a wide receiver as a freshman. By the time he left Auburn as a junior now, he felt more like a wide receiver than ever. So credit to Cody Burns and I think Chad Morris had a little bit to do with it as well in turning him into a wide receiver and making him actually look like a wide receiver and evolving him a little bit. But when you finish with more rushing touchdowns than receiving touchdowns in your Auburn career, I'm asking about your production. People loved Anthony Schwartz because they were deceived by the speed, as I said on Monday. I mean, people fell in love with the track speed, but maybe not necessarily, but and kind of ignored the production a little bit. Once again, not a knock. 
but I think he was the third best receiver in this receiving core, which the third best receiver in Auburn's receiving core. And I think with his unique speed, he probably would have got on the field at a lot of the other teams in the SEC. But I still, I, I think it's a situation where people fell in love with it so much. And I think Gus Malzahn fell in love with it so much game plan wise that it focused so much on him that it limited Auburn in other areas because it was such a focal point and maybe Auburn needed more balance. Another guy that's possibly in that situation where people are falling in love with it for its gimmicky nature i like jj pegues a lot too it's fun right i mean you don't see overly athletic 300 pound plus guys running around you just don't and so it's fun when he gets out there and i love it but he's not a better pass catching tight end than any of the other tight ends on this roster all they can do is run flat routes with him and then get him squared up on somebody but if if he's not squared up on somebody then he's tackleable all you got to do is cut him down around the legs and then I don't know what his blocking looks like because we haven't gotten to see it too much I don't know if he is fleet of foot or accurate enough of a blocker when he's having to pull to be able to move into a guard position on the offensive line or to play tackle I don't know we didn't see that enough about him so I'm definitely not writing JJ Pegues off yet but I don't know how he fits in the system moving forward and so I use all those examples to back this up, and I know this has been a long soliloquy right here. I use all of those examples to bring up Auburn in this coaching search needs to be careful to not get distracted by the shiny things. For the last eight years, Auburn has gotten distracted by the shiny things. Now it's time to just go and get a guy out there that can coach some football. I don't care if they've got a connection to Auburn. I would like to see someone have a connection to the Southeast for recruiting purposes, but I don't think every single coach on your roster does. I would like to see some just general coaching diversity on this staff. And what I mean by that is I want to see some guys from different parts of the country because guys from different parts of the country bring different identities to the game, different schemes that I think could really help this Auburn football program reset at this time. And so I think it's a good thing that Jeff Levy's not coming to Auburn. I really do. I think it's a good thing that Jeff Levy's not coming to Auburn because I think from a scheme perspective, I think Auburn needs to possibly move away from what Ole Miss is doing right now, which mirrors a little bit more what maybe Auburn has done in the past as far as really spreading out the field. They throw the ball a whole lot more than Gus Malzahn ever has, but I think it's a good thing that Auburn's trying to move away from maybe that spread it out finesse style of game, possibly bring a new hard-nosed mentality to it. Yeah, they're coming in with what we assume is going to be that West Coast style offense and go away from that spread and i think again, it'll be a mix i don't think it's gonna be pure yeah, west coast i mean you have to you have to have a spread dynamic in today's game of football i mean we can agree with that you can as far as west coast i think the passing game will will have more similarities to that but outside of that i think you'll still see a lot of spread tendencies yes and again just like we were saying don't fall in love with the shiny things you have if you just do a quick search of some off offensive coordinator candidates you see guys like kevin sumlin pop up who Probably, that probably has no validity to it. You have guys like Kendall Bryles. You have those are the shiny things. Art, Stay away you from have that. Art Bryles. You have people who have no business coming in. And again, you, I think me and you both agree with this. We don't want something like that. And I think a lot of Auburn fans are really starting to buy into this. Give me some no name guy Let's that just I've clean never it heard out. Of. Give me a guy I've never heard of. Give me some random assistant or offensive coordinator from some school that I've never paid attention to. I don't know if they've gone to that extent of saying some random no name, but because I definitely think people want to see Southeastern recruiting ties to be able to recruit the Southeast because at the end of the day, at the heart of this, Auburn's got to recruit Alabama, Georgia, and Florida really well if this program wants to take the next step. But I think people are okay 
or are more okay now than they were maybe three or four years ago with a hire that's outside of the southeast if it looks good on paper like brian harson looks good on paper a winner everywhere he's been right you want to go get guys that have good resumes outside of the southeast if you're bringing one of those guys in you don't just want to bring some dude in that was at san jose state or some guy that was at you know san diego state or something like that you want a guy who is who has really built up a resume maybe outside of the southeast but is is known for being a solid a solid coach whether he's a position coach defense coordinator offense coordinator whatever the position is being filled you you want them to have a good resume and i think going back to where we started this segment with Pittman, and you're and you look at his stops across his time he's been at boise state for the last seven years with harson he was with him at arkansas state as well but then before that he had a stint of as head of strength and conditioning coach at boise from 99 to 06 so he's got he's had the best of the boise tenure and then he's also got stops at colorado and then san jose state way 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 at the beginning of his career back in the early 90s so when you look at a guy like Pittman, he fits those roles nobody's going to sit and dissect a, a head of strength and conditioning coach because the results it's hard to see what the results and the fruits of those labor are because they're they're teaching guys how to weight train right and to make sure that they're in good conditioning when it comes down to it and hoping hoping that your guys don't get hurt as well too like what's happened Alabama in recent years because I know that was a huge huge criticism of Scott Cochran so there there's a lot there but it's kind of hard when you hire a head of strength and conditioning coach to really unpack it and be like yeah this is a great hire right you know I mean it's just is the guy respected in the community and when a guy like nate solder comes out and speaks about you as highly as he did well he's respected in the community and i think that's a big thing we'll come back with more of on the line here on the other side of this break we'll talk auburn basketball against Ole miss coming up <laughs> noah gardner and levi fitzwater with you on the line if you want to hop on the show with us if you want to be on the line 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502 talk to us what do you think about the heisman trophy last night going to Devonte smith what do you think about the latest hire on auburn's coaching staff auburn basketball as well anything you want to talk about this show is for the people so we want to talk about what you want to talk about once again the phone number is 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502 Auburn basketball in action tonight against Ole Miss at eight on SEC Network the Tigers at 0-2 in conference play Ole Miss at 0-1 but they're on a two-game losing streak as well lost to Wichita State I believe that was over the yeah that was over the weekend and so lost to Wichita State while Auburn lost to Texas A&M in those last games and so this Ole Miss team and and you had some strong opinions during the break about this Levi and I want to hear from you on this um Ole Miss has been a team that has plagued Auburn in recent years it feels like especially last year where the the Tigers were handed a couple of losses to the Rebels and maybe Auburn felt like and and Auburn in the standings felt like they were the better team than Ole Miss but this this is a clash of styles here both teams tempo wise are very close to each other in the KenPom.com rankings and I love the KenPom.com efficiency numbers and whatnot I'm, I'm a nerd when it comes to stats in college basketball and I think they provide a lot of insight and when you're looking at tempo here as far as possessions Ole Miss and Auburn are per 40 minutes averaging at about 67 to 69 possessions per game it's at 69 possessions per game both of them are in that range 
And so they're playing the game at about the same pace. But the big difference here is Ole Miss has leaps and bounds better of a defensive team than Auburn. And as Nathan King pointed out earlier in the show, they are uber experienced. Yeah, I think I think that's the biggest thing. I think the experience coupled with that defensive efficiency, which they kind of go hand in hand a lot of times when you have a really good defensive team. You usually have a really good team chemistry that's been built on years of experience. But I, I'm really worried about this game for Auburn going in without potentially having Powell, who's not the point guard, but the acting point guard. You're not going to have a true point guard on this roster going into this game with a hungry Ole Miss team that they're also looking for their first conference win. You're going to have a lot to kind of come out of and just climb this mountain. It's a big mountain in front of Auburn in this matchup. I think I think it might get away from this Auburn team, especially if Powell can't go tonight with the head injury that he suffered against A&M. It's going to be really hard. That defense on the road, no point guard, which is who you want to lean on when you're going up against a good defensive team because you really want to attack and need someone who can sit back. to help keep rhythm. Yeah, sit back, dissect that defense, put them in good position, really just set it up. And, you know, if Powell can't go, who, again, we've all agree, not a true point guard, he's just the acting point guard for now, it's going to be really hard. And I'm, I'm really worried that this game might get away from Auburn. I think they'll come out, probably play it pretty close early, but I think that Ole Miss can really pull away late. And again, that's not what I hope happens. It's just kind of how I feel like this game's going to go with looking at all the circumstances going into this game. I think Auburn's going to be able to limit what Ole Miss wants to do offensively in this ball game because Ole Miss isn't necessarily known for being a great offensive team in this league Kermit Davis hasn't quite pulled it around to have those old Miss teams that um, were before he was there that could score the basketball but maybe not necessarily play as good on defense when it was Andy Kennedy there over as head coach but this Auburn team I think and you've you pointed this out they're going to have a hard time scoring against this old Miss defense without a true point guard on the floor even if Justin Powell was out there I think Auburn has an extremely difficult time scoring on the Ole Miss defense I pointed this out on the show yesterday the adjusted defensive efficiency for Ole Miss according to KimPom.com has them ranked at 17th in the country as far as defense is concerned when they are protecting their own basket they are the 17th best team in the country protecting their own basket that is that's that's a really good stat right there that is impressive that's going to be hard to crack into tonight without somebody who's going to be able to help keep rhythm. I mean, Auburn had to resort to Allen Flanagan handling the basketball primarily at the end of the game against Texas A&M, and Allen Flanagan has been a primary point scorer for Auburn, a primary option on the offensive side of the floor to score the basketball, but he is not the guy that you want running your offense. And once again, not a knock on Allen Flanagan it is more about the fact that he's not a true ball handler. He's not a true point guard. And when you look at his stat line, he had five turnovers before he got an assist against Texas A&M. This offense needs a guard to help them run it. And no Turbo Jones, no Justin Powell. Alan Flanagan is not that guard. And I hate to say this, but this has been the team in the SEC that has plagued Auburn. This has been that team in recent years that has given Auburn some real trouble 
and it's how well they play the game defensively this is a team you play twice every year because it's one of those rivalry games quote-unquote rivalry games that in basketball and the SEC where you play four or five opponents twice every year Ole Miss is one of those teams alongside Alabama and Georgia and Auburn's very familiar with that program and this is going to be a very difficult game oh by the way it's on the road and the coronavirus pandemic I think with less fans in the stands has benefited defense more than offense because it is it has improved communication yeah you can sit there and talk to your players and really figure out where you need to be on the floor and communicate well with your with your you know teammates that's not something that traditionally happens when you're playing in a tough environment especially a conference matchup like in the SEC normally this you know the Ole Miss will be really just electric with Auburn coming in so Again, it's going to be really hard, and I want to clarify that we are definitely not knocking Alan Flanagan as a player. Me and you both love him. We think he is an outstanding player. He's just not the point guard that Auburn needs going into this matchup. Right, and I mean, he's he's probably more of a three than anything on this roster, but he's been playing a lot of the two, and then he's also had to take on, he's also had to take on point guard roles for this team. So Auburn basketball taking on Ole Miss tonight, 8 p.m., on SEC Network and the Tigers get an SEC win it's going to be a tough challenge that's it for hour number one of On the Line hour number two coming your way here on the other side of this break stay with us you are on the line live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line here with you, Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. If you want to join into the show, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. If you missed hour number one, you missed a good one. Nathan King of Auburn Undercover joined us to talk about Auburn's latest ventures in the coaching search. Jeff Pittman hired as the head strength and conditioning coach. If you missed the first hour, you can go find it. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. We're also online on RadioAlabamaSports.net. Noel Gardner, Levi Fitzwater here with you for hour number two, and we'll open it up. First part here, we talked about the Heisman Trophy Award at to open up the show today, and Devontae Smith bringing home the hardware, the first wide receiver to do so in 30 years. Devontae Smith had an astronomical season in a shortened year, and now the tide playing in the national championship, and he's a big part of that, and he's been a big part of Alabama's success the last three, four years that he's been there, last four years that he's been with Alabama. Devontae Smith has been a big part of why Alabama has been so good at throwing the football when you have that wealth of riches at wide receiver and he has been by far 
I think, the most successful of that group after you look at his career. Now, he went further than all of them except for Jalen Waddle. And yes, you could say he went further than Jalen Waddle because Waddle was hurt this year and now could have a chance to come back for the national championship game, which I think he will play. But I think this is a big win for the non-QB guys. And I think it's a big win for the award to maybe take a step in the direction to where maybe people for the first time ever will look at this as maybe not just for the quarterbacks and they'll look beyond the stat lines. It's an incredible, incredible achievement for all of those non-quarterback offensive players. Defensive players still have a long way to go. We hit on that in the first hour. You and Zach talked about needing that defensive Heisman to really give them a chance to be recognized in that fashion. But yes, again, you look at at this at the end of the day. Devontae Smith entered that night with minus 1,500 odds to win the Heisman, the overwhelming favorite. And I remember seeing that on my way home and thought, that's really good. That's really good for the receiver going into this, going into the night. An overwhelming performance all year long was the best player on the field every time he got on the field. And at the end of the day, that's what you want from the Heisman Trophy. You don't want it to be the best quarterback who sits on the field every second of every down. He was the best player. People wanted to watch him. People tuned in to see what crazy catch he was going to make or you know how many touchdowns he was going to put up, how many yards he was going to put up in this game. And he was rewarded for it. I'm very surprised that this is the way they went in the voting. I had my doubts. I thought they were going to put a quarterback in there. I thought Mac Jones was going to end up sneaking and usurping it from Devontae Smith. And then it turns out he wasn't even second on the ballot. It became Trevor Lawrence who was number two. So Good for Devontae Smith. Good for all of those guys not named quarterbacks out there because it bridges that gap. It puts it a little bit closer to them. And I think now we can see that we'll move on and start seeing other guys get a chance at the Heisman again. I don't even think Mac Jones should have been in the top three of Heisman voting. And I'm not suggesting that Kyle Trask should have been in front of him. I don't even think Kyle Trask should have been in the top four. And, of course, he was invited there, and so the voting's obviously going to lean that way. But I think Najee Harris probably should have gotten more respect. And, of course, that maybe I'm asking for too much for more than one non-quarterback guy to be there. But when I look at Najee Harris and what he did and, and when I watch him play football, I think he's the second-best football player on the field for Alabama. I mean, he's the second – he's arguably one of the second-best non-quarterbacks in this country right now when they step on the field. Do you think – if Najee was on a different team, do you think he would have had a higher, you know, a higher amount of votes that he received? No, and now I'm about to contradict myself in saying this. Obviously, running behind the Alabama offensive line that won the Joe Moore Award is going to help a running back out statistically. Najee Harris is still an outstanding player. If if Najee Harris was on a different team, he doesn't receive the development that he received at Alabama, right? Yeah, that, and that so makes there's sense. there's no guarantee that Najee Harris would have put himself in that conversation, but when we're talking about this award I don't think it's fair when you're discussing the award to try and take guys out of their situation when you're trying to decide who should win which I'm not saying that you were saying that or that anybody voted that way but you can't take guys out of their situation because that didn't happen that's fake that's hypothetical that did not occur you grade these guys you evaluate these guys based on what you have based on what you've seen from these players and you know what I saw I saw Najee Harris jump over a guy that was standing straight up. He jumped He jumped over a six-foot human being. In a playoff game. Right. Against one of the top four best teams in the country. 
one of the better defenses that we've seen most of this year, completely hurdles him. Everybody's gets everybody's attention. For That's the not se- the first time he's hurdled I've, somebody in a game. For the either. second year in the row. For the second year in a row, he has straight up hurdled someone, highlight real type performances that match. It's not all highlights it, to match his talent that he seems he's got every, the numbers to go with it. Seems every time he gets the ball, he's ripping off seven, eight yards per carry. It feels like almost every time I see Alabama play, he is just running wild. And that's not, and again, you talked about the line. It helps when you have that line, but when he can make guys miss and he can even make guys not even miss, but just clear them completely in terms of hurdling them and getting completely over them. Yeah, that is a talented kid. I'm starting the Najee Harris Heisman campaign too late. And I, now I'm comparing his stats to Devontae Smith's this year, and he had more touchdowns. He had more touchdowns than Devontae Smith. Najee Harris put up 24 on the ground alone, and then he had three receiving scores. Talking about total yards from scrimmage for Najee Harris this year, 1,733 yards and 27 touchdowns. He averaged six and a half yards per play by nature a running back is not going to achieve as many yards per play that Devontae Smith is as a receiver who's going to get to extend out the field Devontae Smith going with 1,647 scrimmage yards 21 scores at wide receiver for Alabama man I really am started this Najee Harris Heisman hype train just a little bit too late but I think voting wise he deserved to be up more and he was not amicably considered for the award this year and I don't know why it's probably because he played in the shadow of Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith for the first half of the season at least and then in the shadow of Devontae Smith and the support just cultivated for Devontae Smith and it came full force after he had the catch in the LSU game there's always that Heisman moment that people can't erase from their minds and Najee Harris's has happened too late he was too he was steady it's not like he was just he wasn't the sexy option compared to Devontae Smith who's catching balls 25 yards down the field you know there was one game this year it was against LSU that every catch he had averaged like per catch Devontae Smith against LSU averaged a quarter of the length of the field and it was spectacular and the catches where you alluded to it that one-handed grab in the back of the end zone that Heisman moment that you cannot erase that image is burned into your brain all year long and you say that's the best play I've seen all year and it keeps replaying. Sports Center keeps replaying it. You keep seeing it. It keeps getting fresh. Najee's did not. Najee didn't have a play like that until the playoffs, when the voting had already concluded. You never had that with him, and that probably really factored in to the lack of votes that he act, that he ended up with. He was over here quietly putting together a twenty-four touchdown season at running back on a ten-game season. Imagine, imagine a quiet twenty-four touchdown season. He averaged two touchdowns a game on the ground. 6.1 yards per carry he did 24 touchdowns at a 12 game season for Alabama right now and he'll add another couple more probably in the national championship game at least one I would assume so I really am starting this Najee Harris Heisman hype train just a little bit too late the day after the awards given I don't know why none of us thought about Najee Harris in that light I think of him high uh, more highly than Trevor Lawrence I really do I'm not going to take this that that far to say that voting wise he should have been number two in this because he wasn't even in the top four. But I definitely think of him higher than Mac Jones and Kyle Trask for sure. I mean, Kyle Trask Heisman value plummeted with the two losses at the end of the year. And then even so, we got to watch him in his bowl game. And you cannot erase what we saw in the bowl game. You cannot erase what Kyle Trask did. Three first half interceptions. 
I mean, that's the kind of stuff that you do in video games when you're having a bad day. That's what I do in Madden when I'm stepping up and then ultimately lose. So I, I that that's hard for me to to stomach on uh, for Kyle Trask to have been ahead of Najee Harris, but. Whatever, let's switch the conversation here to some Auburn football before we head to a quick break. Auburn bringing in a new strength and conditioning coach, Jeff Pittman, Brian Harson's first major hire for, for a guy who's going to be in the nuts and bolts of this program and really have a major function in the team. And I think this is good for the program. You look at what, what do we know about Jeff Pittman because he's not a household name for Auburn folks. He's coming from Boise State, has spent the last eight years on staff with Brian Harson seven of those at Boise State from 2014 to 2020 and then at Arkansas State in 2013. He had a previous stop at Boise as the head of strength and conditioning from 1999 to 2006. And then he's also got stops at Colorado and then San Jose State many, many, many years ago back in the early 90s. So you look at it, he's got the pedigree. No major programs on that list. I mean, Colorado is a, a name that everybody's going to know. Boise State's a name that everybody's going to know. But no major programs on the list. But I don't think you have to have a guy with major programs on his resume when you're talking about strength and conditioning. It's not as much about where you were. It's how did you get the most out of those players. And granted, you're going to get a lot of good players at Boise State. But one thing that I really like to think about with him is you see some of the guys that have come out of Boise State who went to the league. Right, I was were, just thinking that. Were league ready. A Leighton Vander Esch, a Jay yep. Ajayi comes to mind. Guys who physically, I watched Jay Ajayi run over Ole Miss in the Georgia Dome so many years ago. Guys like that that really came to and came into the NFL pro ready in terms of their body, in terms of their physicality that they have. Again, they probably weren't ready in the sense of upscale of the competition from Boise to the NFL but in terms of their strength and their conditioning and their physical attributes they looked as good as someone who would come from a power five conference especially with a guy like Leighton Vander Esch who went mid first round of the Cowboys and has looked outstanding every year he's played I think that speaks volumes imagine what he's going to do with the recruits that he can pull into Auburn who are already ahead of that physical curve that Boise State just quite doesn't have I think it's a good indicator, too, that Auburn's coaching search is going to be across the country. Nobody knows anything right now about anything. Somebody's claiming to know something about something when it's coming to an Auburn coaching search, and they didn't pin Brian Harson as the new head coach. They don't know. They don't. And, of course, we can only guesstimate at the names that are being linked to Auburn. Of course, Dale McGee and then uh, Jeff Levy's name was connected for a while. And then, oh, by the way, he just signed an extension at Ole Miss. So people nope. were wrong there. And then no Marcus Freeman's another one. And now we talked to Nathan King in the first hour. And I think it's just it's not been a search, like he said, about about names. It's not been a search that has yielded too many of those for the public to see. And I think that's a great thing because I think that means that Auburn is doing their due diligence. Brian Hartson is really trying to make an impact here with his first staff he knows that if that the success of his tenure at Auburn is going to hinge on this staff and he's taking his time and he's trying to make sure he gets the right guys in here southeastern guys I'm sure will end up on the staff but also I don't think that he's afraid to bring guys from west of the Mississippi or from other parts unknown in the United States so I think that's a great thing for Auburn that's finally beginning to branch out this program is finally beginning to branch out don't branch out from us though stay on all the line we'll be back in a few moments
You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. We'll be right back. Is Alabama basketball for real? 86-71, defeating Florida last night. It's probably got Auburn fans worrying about this year. And, of course, Auburn not going to be participating in the postseason. But you'd still like to know that Auburn's a better basketball program, I'm sure, than the Alabama Crimson Tide. But not this year. This Alabama team looks for real. No Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on the line. If you want to join the show, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll-free at 888-382-7500. Oh, two. We want to hear from you. Talk to us about it. Do you think this Alabama program is for real? What direction do you think Auburn basketball is going at the moment with a big game against Ole Miss tonight? But let's dig into it right now with this Alabama basketball team that is three and zero after three conference games in the league, and they have beaten two good teams. And I think Ole Miss is an above average squad. Florida is a top six team in the SEC at least that's the that's the perspective I have of them right now that could change because it's hard to evaluate teams that have only played seven games like Florida in this odd year by now you kind of have a good gauge of who teams are at this point in a regular year but teams just haven't played as many games due to cancel cancellations and pitfalls when it came to scheduling this year at the beginning of the year because Auburn didn't even have their schedule finished until like a week out from the season starting so it's hard to evaluate some squads but a win over a top 10 Tennessee team that was destroying everybody they were playing Alabama now 3-0 backs it up didn't have a letdown of energy didn't let it be a the type of game that they wouldn't get up for because it wasn't Tennessee anymore it wasn't a top tier team in college basketball but they got up for Florida and they had as much as a 21 point lead and this Alabama team it's looking scary compared to everybody else in the league who knew that they would be in pole position in this league if anything they did the opposite they came with more energy than they had against Tennessee they came out and flat out played and beat Florida at every facet of this game they came out ready for this game played hard and again it really feels like since that Western Kentucky loss that really bad blemish that Alabama had it lit a fire under this team and they have just played well beating Tennessee beating Ole Miss again above average team beating this Florida team And it really comes down to they shot the ball well. They limited Florida. They held Florida to 39.7 field goal percentage, which is incredible. Florida had a lot of self-inflicted wounds with the free throws. Didn't quite hit as well as Alabama did in that department. I mean, you said it during the break when we were talking. Alabama got to unload the bench on Florida. If you told me that Alabama basketball would be playing Florida and have a chance to put their backups in because they were up by so many points and comfortably leading this ballgame, I probably would have laughed in your face before I saw it last night. And it's just this Alabama team is dangerous in the SEC, not just the West and the entire conference. And I'm very interested to see if they can keep up this hot streak that they've been on the past three games. If you take out Florida's three-point shooting last night and doing some quick math here on the fly, Florida only shoots 37% from the floor in that ball game so 37 percent inside two-point land inside the arc florida when they got into the paint and they were trying to shoot the ball down low they only averaged 37 percent which is terribly low 40 percent or, or anything lower than 50 percent inside the arc still not great i mean like you, you get below 47 percent 
inside the arc that's not good when you're talking about scoring the basketball in high percentage areas so what jumps off the page for me in this box score maybe not what maybe not what's completely obvious to the naked eye because there's no two-point percentage when you go and look at box scores on like espn.com or other places but all you gotta do is simple math take the three-point shooting out yesterday where florida almost shot 50 percent. they were nine of 20 from beyond the arc if you take that out alabama put that team in a straight jacket if they came inside the arc they were not able to score down low when I've talked about this Alabama basketball team before the season started I said Alabama's got a chance to be really dangerous but the big knock on Alabama every year through that Avery Johnson era and then now with Nate Oates has been can they put it together is this program cursed they've always had some talent but can they actually put it together and really be substantially above 500 not be an 18 and 15 team or not be a 16 and 15 team like they were last year can they get above 20 wins can they be a top four team in the standings in this league get a two-day bye in the sec tournament and be a bona fide dangerous team in the ncaa tournament and i think this year of all years alabama has their best opportunity to do it and they're finally coming together as a squad and my reasoning for that is they've got the perfect blend of experience and use of experience and youth they've got uh, upperclassmen here that are contributing they've got a graduate transfer from Yale down low that's helping them out he was probably a big part last night of Florida not being able to score inside the arc but they've also got the recruits that they've brought in the youth the guys that are coming out here and already ready to get on the floor right away and contribute but they've got the older guys with them to help them not make the mistakes and teach them along the way it's the perfect blend it's not a super young team like Auburn Auburn's super talented but it's all young they don't they don't they don't have any of the older guys to help pull them through these these runs where things are going poorly they, they don't have the older guys to learn from they're having to soak up as much from Bruce Pearl as possible and they're having to go through gro- growing pains Alabama doesn't have to go through growing pains with their young players because they've got the older players there to make up for it and so this Alabama team when you're talking about roster makeup the perfect blend of experience and youth but then you talk about also where they contribute on all areas of the floor. They can score all over all over the floor. The, obviously, their three-point shooting and what they do beyond the arc is going to be what you view when you look at Alabama offensively and how they can get hot in a hurry now. It used to not be that way. When Avery Johnson was here, they were a half-court style team. They were slow. It was nasty. They would pass up wide-open threes. This group's not going to pass up a contested three. Alabama's going to pop it with guys like John Petty. This team now has the ability to score everywhere and they have somebody on this team that does everything well right like Herb Jones can play defense and run the offense really well he's a, he's a good point guard figure for you he's not going to turn the basketball over too much he's going to help you assist he's going to play defense he's a bigger guard you've got the three-point shooter and the and, and the three and d guy with John Petty you've got the post presence you've got the experience you've got the youth you've got all this on this Alabama team and it sounds like I'm gushing but I'm going to be real with you if anybody wrote this team off after they lost to Western Kentucky and I was feeling a little weird about this Alabama team after they had their third loss and it was against Western Kentucky but if anybody wrote this team off they were wrong to do so when you're looking at how much talent is on this squad and I don't think at any point this year it would have been right to write off this Alabama team even if they hadn't started out 3-0 and in conference play even if they had started 0-3 I don't think it would have been right to write off this Alabama basketball team because we all know that they had the experience and the talent to be able to turn it on at any point and make a run and do some serious damage 
and they're doing damage right now at the beginning at the beginning of the SEC schedule just as Tennessee it's incredible also to see they're not relying on one guy they have this really complete roster I mean you just look at some stat lines through these games it's a really balanced attack when every when you have multiple about four or five players every game scoring around that 12 to 16 range that's a balanced team that's a really good output of scoring that you're getting from all positions and again mirror what you said you have guys that have been there for you know what 12 15 years like John Petty it feels like he's been on the he's been on there since the early 2000s it feels like sometimes and you have all those all the youth that Nate Oates is bringing in you have all these guys with experience and that's honestly I know a lot of people hate having to sit there and compare Auburn and Alabama, but that's the difference between these two teams right now. The The talent is there for both teams. The big difference is Alabama has that veteran presence. It has the leadership that Auburn is simply lacking right now. That's how you win in March. And that Yes, that's how you win in March. Deep guard play and veteran players. That's why you see these teams with the one-and-dones. You have to have an exceptionally talented one-and-done team to really push it and go to and win a championship like Duke had with Jaleel Okafor that year and Anthony Davis in the Kentucky games. Other than that, you see these teams top to bottom that have had a big roster of veterans that have played, have the experience, can rely on each other, have that chemistry on the floor and can really take down that pressure and not, you know, get lost in the lights of what is the March Madness and Final Four tournament. So, this Alabama team is a real threat to the SEC right now. I'm interested to see how it keeps up. What happens when they see a little bit more adversity? Because they've been scalding hot right now. They have been on fire as of late. What happens when they see a little bit more adversity? Does this team fold? Or does this team really step up to the challenge and continue to play how they played these past three games? That's the biggest step for me, and I think they'll be able to step up. Like you said, a lot of veteran presence. I think they can step up, and honestly, I think they can make a run at the SEC title. I mean, who's going to stop them? Tennessee. <laughs> who, who they, who they, who have, they already have already beaten. beaten. Yeah. So, I mean, it's hard to beat a team twice, though, much it, less three times, if they've got to play up three times. so. And again, don't sleep on Kentucky. I know I've said it before. Don't sleep on Kentucky just yet. Don't sleep on They're them just yet. They're another team you can't write off at any point. And, and lo and behold, they've, they've gone out and they've won a conference game or two so far. I don't, I don't know if they've won two in a row. I, I think they were in action last night. I'm about to go and find some information about the Kentucky Wildcats for you. I'm pretty sure they played they, Vanderbilt last night, and I'm pretty sure they won, right? They went out and beat Vanderbilt 77-74 to 74 last right, night. Right, and so now you look at Kentucky, and Kentucky's 2-0 and in conference play. They beat Mississippi State and Vanderbilt, and they're 3-6 and six and back winning. And so you kind of forget about now at this point, if you're Kentucky, and you look at their non-conference schedule that featured Kansas, Georgia Tech, Notre Dame, North Carolina, Louisville, and how brutal that non-conference schedule was, you kind of write it off now and you forget about it. And I'm sure that's, what's co- that's what Coach Calipari is trying to tell this team. Learn from it, but also it's not important anymore. Now what's important is in front of you and winning as many SEC games as possible. And guess what their next two SEC games are? Alabama and Florida. Not in that order. It was reversed. Florida and then Alabama. And so they play Florida coming up this weekend, and then they'll play Alabama in the midweek next week. If they win both of those games, I think Kentucky's as relevant as ever in the NCAA tournament picture. They may not be in bracketology just yet, but as you said, don't write them off. They keep winning, and they do the dominant thing that Kentucky does 
in basketball, if they only lose 10 games this year, I think they're in the tournament. And I think it's feasible for Kentucky to only lose four games in the conference schedule. Now, it's not like they're beating the brakes off of anybody just yet. You don't expect them to only beat Vanderbilt by three, and then they had to go to overtime with Mississippi State. But if they continue to improve, they could be into a position where they could only lose, you know, another four to six games and be in the bubble picture. And Kentucky's name carries enough weight to send them to the bubble in Indianapolis this year for the NCAA tournament because it's Kentucky. It's going to draw eyes to TV screens. And this year, it's going to be more important than ever when you're talking about advertising dollars to have eyeballs on TV screens. And if Kentucky's on the bubble, they are not. They're not, no. they're not leaving them out. That's not happening. We saw Syracuse several years ago. Kentucky will not get left out. More of On the Line here on the other side of this break. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. You know, Ohio State, as if they needed motivation more than just the fact that they were playing at the national championship, but then some choice words from Nick Saban's daughter, Kristen, maybe helped them flip the page on what we had been talking about, about how they had focused so much on Clemson that now they've got some billboard material possibly or some locker room material for when they go to take on Alabama in the national championship. No Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on the line and what I'm talking about is Nick Saban's daughter had a tweet yesterday, and I'm just paraphrasing here We'll just because she's since deleted the tweet, but she said that essentially she's calling out Ohio State and basically saying that the COVID cases are fake, That and that's what we had talked about yesterday that got reported by Matt Zenitz and John Talty that possibly the game could get moved. There were discussions about possibly moving it so that Ohio State could you know be fully healthy and be at full strength for the game on Monday, but... Kristen Saban saying no way that's that that, nothing's going on you guys just want to get your quarterback healthy and what do you make of this whole situation because uh you know Nick Saban was probably like hey you got to cut it you can't do that and now because now you've given Ohio State a chance to they've got something now to latch on to for motivation and we saw what that did for them against Clemson it's it's ignorance at its finest because you never want to joke about the health of someone in that regard the coronavirus and COVID has really taken its toll on the country with deaths racking up. You don't want to, even even if what she's saying is true, if what she's saying is true and there are the cases are false or fake just to buy them more time, you still don't want to shed that light. You don't want to open up that can of worms and say that because it really looks bad on you when you have the amount of people who have lost their lives and lost loved ones to this disease, it really just paints her in a bad light. And obviously, Nick Saban probably got after her and chewed her out. We've seen him say a lot of choice things to a lot of choice people when they put their foot in their mouth. Again, the tweet has since been deleted, but it really just screams this really ignorant statement from me or in my opinion, that's just how it it comes off just really, really bad. And it really sheds her in a poor light. And it really detracts away from just a good value of what you would expect out of someone who is related to the head coach of Alabama. You really expect a little bit better from her 
in this regard. Again, everybody is entitled to make mistakes. That happens. I make mistakes every single day of my life, as does every single listener out there. This one just really, really hurts with the magnitude of what is the coronavirus. She has since apologized, but still, the damage is done. I think you can't take back words. Screenshots live forever. (laughs) And Ohio State, we had talked about, and and right now, nothing about them having moved it whatsoever. And I'm sure the national championship game is going to be on for Monday. I don't think they're going to move that. Of course, we talked about it in the light of Ryan Day's comments. It, it's it's bewildering to me some of the some of the things that have been said before going into this national championship, and I've harped on this for several days because it's really irked me. I don't know how a head coach can could say something like this. It's just weird. But saying that he doesn't know if he's more excited that he's playing in the national championship or that he just beat Clemson. It's like, dude, you know the right answer to that. You should know. You're about to play Alabama. Nick Saban knows what he wants, and Alabama knows what they want. It's like you better know what you want playing in the national championship game against the Alabama Crimson Tide. And so a team that's won more national championships than anybody in recent history. And so we're in history period, but, you know, that can be debated. But <laughs> I mean, a few a few of them are a little sketchy, but sure. still. <laughs> I'm just poking fun. But um, the Tide are didn't – the Alabama doesn't need any billboard material to come for this one. It felt like Ohio State needed a lot of it to play the way they did against Clemson because they focused on it for 365 days of their calendar year. And then now, and I've said, and I think based on that comment, maybe 30, maybe that's 30% valid what he said. Maybe it was, you know, it was, I'm not taking it out of context. That's what he said when he was asked about the motivation of it, right? I'm not going to sit here and read too much into it, but look, even if it's only 30% valid, like, I think you see Ohio State's energy like they're going to be amped that they're playing in the national championship but it may not be the same type of energy that you're going into that ball game against Alabama than you did against Clemson. Revenge is a powerful tool when you're talking about sporting events and and trying to go out there and and avenge a loss to somebody that you've played previously. I mean look at what Clemson did to Notre Dame right 34 to 3 and then look at what Ohio State just did to Clemson and Clemson is not that much worse than Ohio State. They are not that many points worse than Ohio State is and I think Ohio State just came out there and played above and beyond where they're at and in sports psychology that is a real thing players can get in the zone that is a real thing there is a mental area I've learned this in college and sports coaching classes and in sports psychology classes there is an area called the flow and players can get into the flow of a game and can get into the zone mentally and it's like an out-of-body experience for guys and Ohio State went into that game looking to an eventual loss and they did it will they carry that same energy into the national championship I do not think so and I don't think there's a team in this country that can beat Alabama at their own game and outscoring them because nobody else has been able to do it Florida came so close but they couldn't hold Alabama they still couldn't and part of outscoring Alabama is getting a stop somewhere and I don't think they can do it you have to contain them to to a degree you've said it plenty of times this year you can't stop this Alabama offense, but you at least have to contain them to some degree. You need at least one stop, and Florida couldn't do it. Just one. Just one. Couldn't they needed a one. lot of stops in that second half after falling behind so far. But if you can at least hold serve with them for a little while, then if you can get a stop or two, then maybe just the run of a game and a momentum-swinging play. The thing is you have to hang with them long enough to have a momentum-changing play that can swing the game, right? Like, you can't... You can't get punched out 
in the first three rounds. You have to go the distance with them. The best analogy here, yes, is Rocky Balboa going the distance with Apollo Creed in the first movie. I mean, he he learned that he could hang with him after the first movie, and then he beats him in the second. But in the first movie, you know, Rocky's wondering, you know, can I go the distance? And all he wanted to do was go 15. And then lo and behold, you find yourself in that 15th round. You can win if you're in the 15th round. The issue is getting there with Alabama because they'll punch you out early. When you've got a, when you've got a team that's that good offensively and even pairs it up with a good defense because their defense is still good. It may not be elite, but it's good. And they can punch you out in the first two quarters of the ball game. And you don't want to be playing catch up against a team that can score at will. You've got to keep serve with them back and forth, back and forth. And I don't think I've seen a team in this country that can do that. I don't think so either. And there's only been really two teams that have made it to that 15-round-ish area. You have Ole Miss, which is a little bit surprising with all things considered. That's one that couldn't get a stop. Exactly. And Florida. And guess what? Couldn't get a stop. Same thing. You have to get at least one stop. And Ohio State has the talent to do that. We all know that that Ohio State roster is talented. But is it talented enough to stop this historically elite offense with all of the weapons that are on there? And you want to talk about revenge being a big factor. Alabama saw this season as revenge season. This was a revenge tour. It wasn't, oh, we got to get revenge against Auburn for a loss. We have to get revenge against this team for a loss. It was, we have to get revenge against every single team on our schedule and the college football playoff in general. We didn't make it last year. This is our revenge. Our revenge this year is to beat everybody so badly and make them feel so insecure with our powerful offense that you look at the end of the day and we're standing on top. We've cleared out everybody. This is our revenge. It's not one team. It's not one game. It's the entire season and the entire playoffs. Ohio State's going to have an uphill battle, but there was some billboard material now for maybe them to flip the page on and say, you know, and Ohio State felt disrespected by Clemson. Dabo Sweeney, not smart to have ranked them 11th in this coach's poll there's got to be some type of tact there and and these coaches uh, like the SID next to them or something like that because I I, isn't it the SIDs who vote for them in the poll like he's got to be like you sure you want to do this did you mean are you sure you meant 11th is that is that what you meant so I I'm not for it was there an extra one there like do you think they're better than Alabama (laughs) like I I think this is just not making do you mean one plus one do you mean two Two? do you mean second Oh man! I, I probably would have if I was the SID just went ahead. And but said, yeah, we're not doing this. I said I was like I'm making an executive Veto. decision here. I am vetoing this. We're not doing it. I mean, they. You think Ohio State will put uh, this tweet up in the locker room like they did the score and show nah. them? Nah, I don't think they will. But Kristen Saban did apologize on Twitter. She called the tweet uncalled for and hurtful. She also said, "I'm so sorry," and you know that fixes it, right? So there's. There is the the national championship game still to be played, and I'd like to think it's going to be a good ball game. I just don't want to see Ohio State get knocked out of the ball game early. Yeah. If they can hang, then it'll be fun. I still don't think they'll win, but it just for the sake of having a fun national championship game, I just don't want to see anybody get blown out right away. I want to see them be able to hang for a little while because if it does get to the third or the fourth quarter and Ohio State's still in it, then you never know because the ball the ball could choose to bounce one way. And then if it's a if it's a lucky bounce for Ohio State, unlike what happened to them in the playoff last year, or a game changing decision, it completely swings the game as the time ticks down. You know, and, the, and let's say you know in basketball, as the as the game ticks down and there's two minutes left and you're tied, well, everything else prior to that point 
It's it's washed. It's gone. Now you've got a two-minute ball game to break a tie, right? You're in your end zero to zero with two minutes left. That's football too. That's any sport. Going down to it, if you're tied late, the game begins there, right? And so for me, this Ohio State team, if they're going to have any chance, they can't get knocked out or get behind you know, by two TDs early. I don't think you come back against this Alabama team. They've proven it time and time again. So it should be a fun one, and I'm hoping that uh, that they can hang with them all the way through to the end just to be able to end this year on a, on a high note. But we're going to end on the line on a high note. We've got the final segment of the show coming up, 15 minutes left here in the hour. Stay with us. On the line on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM and ESPN 106.7. Last segment of On the Line here, Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you wrapping up the show today. We got about 10 minutes left here with you talking Auburn basketball's matchup against Ole Miss coming up tonight at 8 on SEC Network. Auburn in trouble, I feel like, of this SEC season getting away from them. Yeah, it's going to be a tough matchup. I mean, you're on the road. You're going up against a really good, efficient defensive team, according to Ken Palm, and both teams are looking for their first conference win and it's going to be really hard for Auburn to go in there without a point guard or a true point guard even if just Powell plays you are really going to be playing at an incredible disadvantage this one could get away from Auburn I think the line is set at minus seven as Ole Miss the current favorites as a seven point favorite I think it might could end up in the double digits maybe around a 15 to 16 point victory for Ole Miss if Auburn cannot get in there and break that defense down. Well, Ole Miss is only giving up 60 points a game, just like where Texas A&M was going into that matchup. And, you know, according to KimPob.com, an adjusted defensive efficiency margin. So how efficient Ole Miss is on the defensive side of the floor. Ole Miss is the 17th best team in the country when it comes to defending their own basket. That's better than what A&M was. This Ole Miss team has every indication that they could be a better defensive team than A&M. I think they're probably on paper a little bit more talented of a team than A&M. Maybe not better coach. Buzz Williams one of the best coaches in the country, especially at teaching his specific style of play. Kermit Davis also good, but I don't know if he's got necessarily the pedigree that Buzz, William, Buzz Williams has. The, the thing that's particularly concerning about this game for Auburn, I feel like, is Ole Miss's steals and what makes them efficient on the defensive side of the ball is that they are able to get out, poke the ball free, and get out and run. This Ole Miss team doesn't play the game slow like A&M does. That's, that's the other thing that's crazy about this Ole Miss team, only giving up 60 points a game. It's a little bit more of a legitimate 60 points a game to me because A&M's limiting possessions. Ole Miss is not limiting possessions. They have about the same amount of possessions per game as Auburn at about 69. They're in the 160s in the country when it comes down to their balanced style of play. They're not slowing the game down intentionally. Maybe a little bit more on the offensive side of the floor they're slowing the game down. But they are not slowing the game down by just hunkering inside the arc and making you have to work the ball around. They're turning up the heat a little bit on you on defense and putting some pressure on you. And of course, the last two games defensively for them has not been good. They lost to Wichita State by giving up 83. They lost to Alabama by giving up 82. And they didn't play an overly difficult non-conference schedule. But I still look at it and see they give up 60.1 points per game and they're averaging about eight steals a game. 
Auburn's offense that's without a point guard right now, this is the worst possible matchup that I can think of right now of a team that's outside the top four in the SEC right now, like in Alabama, Tennessee, Arkansas, somebody like that, because those teams are great talent-wise. Ole Miss isn't great talent-wise, but style-wise, this is horrible for Auburn. And Auburn also turns the ball over a lot more than eight times a game, it feels like, especially here recently without a point guard. So, again, matchup nightmare. That's why I think this game really gets away from Auburn. It's not that the two teams are so far off in terms of talent or in terms of coaching. It's just a matchup nightmare for Auburn to have to go on the road. Again, we hit on this earlier with the coronavirus and the lack of fans in arenas. It's really helped the defense be able to communicate with that lack of without the fans, without the noise, the defense can really communicate, really play together, really play well, get to their spots, help each other out a lot. And that's really going to be a difference in this game when you go on the road. No, not a lot of, you know, no sound really coming in. That defense is going to be able to turn Auburn over without a point guard. And it's going to be really difficult for Auburn to stick in this game simply because of that alone. I think Auburn might have a lot of turnovers tonight. I'll I'll say high, and I'll say probably around 12 to 15 turnovers easy. That's it? I think that— I, I don't th- expect a near 20. I mean, it feels like it. I think that also depends on if Powell plays. If Powell plays with the head injury, I think he could. you could go on the lower side. 20 might be—20 could be accurate. Let's, we'll ramp it up. We'll say 15 to 20 turnovers could happen in this game for Auburn, and it gets away from them. I'm, I think they lose by 15 to 20 points as well, which— funny saying that when you turn the ball over 15 to 20 times and then you lose by about half of that in terms of your point differential you know going for twos and threes and whatnot this game just it has blowout written all over it from just the matchup perspective from well, people Auburn. don't want to hear you say that i know nobody wants to hear me say it i, I come i come here to give my unbiased opinion i, I uh, sure. obviously i would love to see the auburn tigers go into Ole miss and make me eat my crow and be wrong that would be that's best case scenario for me. I can come in tomorrow and t- talk about how wrong I was and how this Auburn team grew up and really played their best game of the season. Which is out. what they showed in the second half against AM, where they scored 44 points if, against AM. If they do that tonight, they can beat this Ole Miss team. And that would be an incredible stepping stone, especially going into a good match this weekend and really getting this SEC play started for Auburn, getting their first win. I think... I don't think it can happen, but if it does, it is a huge, huge turning point for Auburn in this season. Especially with Alabama on the horizon playing their best basketball. I mean, you're looking at if Auburn loses this, they're 0-4. I don't know if at home they beat Alabama this year. Now, if it was a packed-out place, I could see Auburn playing out of their mind maybe and, and, and pulling out a win in that game, but Alabama's for real. And Auburn, they're learning, they're young, but SEC season could be about to get away from them. They could find themselves in the cellar and 0-4, and, and then everybody's ire is going to be on them. Everybody's going to be looking at them saying, oh, you guys just you guys just took yourself out of the postseason because you weren't going to be good. And it's like Auburn was doing well in the non-conference to prove themselves that that wasn't true, that they were a good, young, talented team, and they are, but now they've got to start getting results. And I thought they were going to beat A&M, and they had 18 turnovers against A&M. So I'm thinking more around that mark. That's where Auburn's been at in these kind of games. So I'm thinking more about 18 turnovers for the Tigers I don't want to be negative about this, though. I don't think they're going to get blown out. Nothing about this team shouts getting blown out because they've they've played really well together, and they fought, and they've scrapped. They play hard. They play a full 40 minutes. They don't allow teams to just come and dismantle them. The only team that did that was Gonzaga, and they dismantled everybody. So I don't think this Auburn team is going to get blown out, 
but I definitely think it could be a similar type of game than A&M, and I definitely think it, it, you could be looking at more than a two-point loss in this one. But if they go out there and they play two halves like they did in the second half against A&M, I think Auburn gets the win because I think as an offensive team, Auburn's better than Ole Miss. And Auburn's defense is going to keep them in it. You're just going to have to find a way to unlock Ole Miss early. This is not a situation. This cannot be like the A&M game where you get down by 10. It cannot be that way because Ole Miss's defense is going to help them hold on to a lead in this game. we got about a minute left. Any final thoughts here before we head out of today? Well, I mean, to keep going on the Auburn basketball train, if they do play the way they played in that second half against a and I see I'm turning you from... <laughs> oh, no, I, I'm still going to stick by my pick. If they do play as well as they played at the end of that Texas A&M game, they will have a really good chance to come away with this win. It's what team, what Auburn team will show up against this good defensive team. The first half A&M team or the second half A&M team. And that makes a difference. That, that's the difference in winning this game and getting blown out, in my opinion. And we'll see. We'll see which Auburn team actually is going to show up today. I want to see how Auburn's bigs respond. Jalen Williams only had three against A&M. I want to see what he looks like tonight and see him be more of a presence. He only was one for three in that game. I want to see JT Thor assert himself more. I think he's done it little by little. Talk about a guy who looks in the frame, like in his physique, looks like Kevin Durant, but just doesn't possess that jump shot level like Kevin Durant had. But he looks, I mean, frame-wise, physique, he looks like Kevin Durant. And being able to actually rise up and shoot over somebody, we've seen him knock down a shot or two. JT Thor is another guy that I want to see step up. Ole Miss, traditionally a smaller team. Let's see how that translates tonight and how Auburn can try and get some things going with their post players. But that does it for another edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater will be back with you same time, same place tomorrow. Don't go anywhere. You know where to find us.